Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through podcasts, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it is an honor just to, to have the ability to, to serve under Pastor Nick's leadership. Uh, you're a great friend, a great mentor, and, and thank you for your heart to, to see other people lead others to Jesus and not making it just about you or this church, but truly desiring other people to know and meet Jesus. And so, um, can we just give it up for Pastor Nick for a quick second? Yeah. Um, and praise God I didn't lose kids in Alabama. I, I think, no, no parents have called yet, so I think... You know, if we did, then they've, you know, just like, oh, well, it's, it's too late now. So um, as Pastor Nick said, my name is Mike Moore, and I am privileged to be the student director here at Propel Church. If I've never met you or um, you're a, a middle school or high school student or a parent of one and we haven't had a chance to connect, I would love to meet you after this experience. Also, if you're a rising sixth grader, um, you're probably not in here, but uh, parents of rising sixth graders, this Wednesday night, we're having something specifically for you and your families, just so that way you have an opportunity to meet um, all of the student leaders and get connected and kind of know what student groups are about. Um, so we have some information out in the next, uh, new, next Steps Center outside. If you're watching online, you can go to propel.church students, and you can RSVP to that event. So um, my shameless plug for students. I can't get up here and not, not celebrate students. Come on now. So we are in this series, Take Courage. And as I was kind of wrestling with this idea of what it looks like to have courage in today's culture, I was just thinking about you know, a bunch of different things. And I was reminded of when uh, my wife and I had our first kid. So my wife, Hannah, uh, she was ready to uh, you know, give birth to Sawyer, who's almost seven now, uh, but it was about time for the epidural process, right? So anesthesiologist comes in, nurse comes in, they're like giving us the rundown, like, hey, we're gonna stick this needle in your back, don't move, don't jerk, it may not work if you do, or worst case scenario, like, you know, you could be paralyzed, like no big deal, right? So they were like, okay, dad, hey, if you wanna support her, you can stand in front of her and hold her hands just to keep, you know, make sure she doesn't twitch or move or anything at the last moment. And I was like, okay, she's about to give birth for the first time, the least I can do to be a good husband and stand here and hold her hands. Like, I can do that. Like, I had given blood many a times. I had done the whole tattoo thing. Needles never, ever bothered me. Then the doctor pulls out like this samurai sword of a needle. <laughs> Have you guys seen those epidurals? They're like the size of my arm. And it got a little bit warm in the room and things started spinning. And I was like, man, it, it's kind of hot in here. Anybody else hot? And the doctor was like, hey, get down on the ground. I was like, I think I just need to sit here on the stool. And I go to sit down on the stool, and the nurse and the doctor start yelling at me. Now, I don't know if they were actually yelling. The way I remember it, they were definitely yelling, get down on the floor, on the floor. And I'm like freaking out, like laying down on the floor, like what's happening? And the nurse was like, hey, if you, if you pass out and you're sitting on the stool, you're, like, you're still going to fall and get hurt. I was like, oh, I, I've never, that's what's happening? Like I never passed out before. I was like, so I'm about to pass out. That's what we're doing. So I'm like laying on the floor, right? My wife is sitting here just staring like, What's happening here? The nurse who's supposed to be making sure now, since I can't do it, that my wife isn't gonna flinch during this epidural process, she runs to the bathroom to get me a washcloth to like keep, like to cool me off, right? So I never actually passed out. I was still there, but like my wife is about to have her first epidural, her first birth, and her husband is like 
halfway pass out on the floor while this nurse is like tending to me, making sure I'm good. Like it was the worst thing ever. And so I, I tell you that not so that you can revoke my man card after this, but I tell you that because like how often is that us? How often are we going into a situation or a circumstance and we're like gung-ho, we're like, man, we've got this. We're strong, we're ready, we are courageous for the God of the universe is with us. But then the circumstance happens, right? Something doesn't go to plan or an external source uh, changes something and now all of a sudden we're consumed with fear and anxiety and worry and stress and now all of a sudden we're just completely overwhelmed and overcome by our circumstances. You see, I believe that uh, Hollywood teaches us that being courageous means you're like, you know, Denzel Washington or Chuck Norris, like racing into a burning building to save an orphanage. Uh, the world teaches us, hey, if you're, if you're gonna be courageous, you gotta speak your mind. You gotta tell other people when they're wrong. Stand up for yourself. And while there, there may be times where that is certainly uh, required and it'll definitely require us to have courage in those moments, I believe scripture teaches us that our day-to-day lives, like what courage looks like in our day-to-day lives, looks a little bit different. See, it requires courage to be kind to people who aren't kind to us. It requires courage to love and pray for our enemies. It requires courage to live a life where it's not about us. We're setting down our own fleshly desires to pursue God. And like, that's just not what the world teaches. But like, that's what courage looks like in our day-to-day circumstances. As we continue in this Take Courage series, I'm gonna introduce to you guys this guy named Hezekiah. Now, in my opinion, Hezekiah is probably one of the most underrated dudes in scripture because we just don't hear about him that often. But he did some amazing things. He was, there were very few of his kind. And he, he actually did, uh, he demonstrates four courageous things that, that I believe we can learn from today as followers of Jesus. But before we dive into him and his story, I want to kind of give you an idea of where we've been in Scripture up to this point. So Israel had traditionally been led by God, but all the Israelites saw the kingdoms around them were led by kings. And so Israel was like, hey, we want kings. Everybody else has kings. Why can't we have kings? This prophet Samuel at the time was like, hey, that's not a good idea. They're not going to have your best interest the way God does. They're like, yeah, but God's always making us like do these things that we want to do and making us uncomfortable Y'all ever experienced that? God's like, hey, you know, you go do something and you're a little uncomfortable about it. Man, no, God, just give me a king. I don't, I don't want to do that. That seems like a bad idea. So he gives them kings. It went poorly as expected, right? Like most of the kings throughout the next several centuries led them farther away from God. And they went through a bunch of different kings, but then eventually this guy named King David came to the scene. And he was like the first king that kind of brought them back to God and led them to God. And King David was going to be the king that would pretty much Whole, like set the bar. So all the other kings after King David would be compared to King David. And then his son, King Solomon, took over. He did some pretty cool things. He, he opened the temple and kind of built the temple. And then after Solomon, his son Rehoboam took over and he increased the taxes and the workload on the people of Israel. And so they got mad and revolted. So now we have Israel is split into two separate kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel, and they always revolted against God. They built false idols, worshiped other gods. They did all kinds of really poor decision-making. And then you have the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. And so Judah kind of went back and forth. Like they had some kings that partially did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but most of them completely also brought them farther away from God. But scripture mentions only a couple compared to King David, that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. One of those was King Hezekiah. 
Now, right before King Hezekiah took over his father, King Ahaz was ruling, and he actually shut down the temple where people would go and experience and meet God. They shut it down. He built all these statues on every street corner and began worshiping pretty much himself and, and other idols. He eventually dies. Hezekiah comes onto the scene. That's where we're picking up. If I lost you guys, who's with me? Come on, if you're with me, let me hear you say bananas. bananas. All right. See, if you said I'm with you or let's go or something like that, that's what you thought I was gonna say. And so that means you're not paying attention. So like, neighbor, wake him up, all right? Also, it was pretty cool. I got y'all to say bananas in church. All right, picking up 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse one. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Judah and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. Here's that comparison with King David again, who set the bar. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He summoned the priests and Levites to meet him in the courtyard east of the temple. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, our God. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the temple's entry room and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle, our sons and daughters and wives have been captured, but now I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. The first thing that we see Hezekiah doing is an act of uh, courage is to turn to God. See, we have to know and understand that this is the first and most crucial step, but we also have to realize here that it's never too late to do this. See, like Israel had been running from God and turned from God for a long time. It would have been much easier for Hezekiah just to keep following suit, but he was like, no, no, no. We've abandoned him long enough. We're, we're We're gonna change some things around, right? That's gonna require us to maybe confront or even um, get rid of or break generational or cultural norms that pull us farther from God. See, we have, to, we have to be able to restore our relationship with him first. And this takes courage because that's not what the world teaches us. It never has, and guys, it never will. We see Hezekiah making this a priority. You see, his father had made shrines for himself and was kind of doing his own thing, setting the tone for what was to follow. Maybe we grew up in homes where uh, we didn't worship God. We didn't, we didn't listen to worship music. We didn't pray. Maybe, maybe we didn't believe in God at all. Or maybe we grew up in an abusive household. And, and so now as we're adults and we're going into adulthood, it's much easier just to keep living the same life the way we were raised. It takes strength and it takes courage to break those things that pull us farther from God when we choose to turn to him. You see, I, I love it because Hezekiah was like, hey, Our people have neglected God long enough. He said, we are chosen to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. It's so much easier to identify ourselves based on how we were raised, who people say we are, or who culture says we should be, 
right? Like, it's so much easier to do that because what happens is, is if we're not putting our foundation on God or if we're not turning to God first, as soon as our circumstances get a little dicey, you wind up on the hospital floor, right? Things get out of control. You, you lose yourself. See, our foundation has to be built on him. Our identity has to be in him. And everything we do should be based on living for him and loving him above all else. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus says it like this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Getting back to, to King Hezekiah, he is getting ready for all these sacrifices. He's opened the temple and now he's trying to restore it and, and um, cleanse it. Now, in those days, the people were responsible for paying for their own sins. This is primarily done through animal sacrifices and uh, repenting to turn back to God. So him and the priests are getting everything prepared. But I love what happens still in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, um, jumping down to verse 24, it says, and the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. Hezekiah isn't just turning to God for himself. No, he's like, hey, we're all in this. Like, we want the whole nation. We want all of God's people to turn back to God. God, that's still God's desire for us. Like, when we're turning to God to pursue a relationship with him, it's not just about us. Like, he wants us to leverage our, our new relationship and leverage the, the identity we have and the, the leadership that we have and the influence that we have to also bring others along and to point them back to God. Now, is, it's not ultimately our responsible to save other people. That, that's, not, that's not what we do. It's our job to bring people to the one who does save, right? Like, our job is to say, hey, hey, I see you struggling. I was struggling once. I know this guy named God. Like, there's this God who, who loves you and has a plan for your life. Like, surrender your life to him. And it doesn't have to be like those words. It could just be like, hey, come to church with me or hey, come hang out. I mean, there's, there's so many ways. But we see that Hezekiah isn't just turning his own life around and chasing after God. He is doing it with other people. Our mission is no different today, but it requires us to courageously turn to God first. Let's continue to look through Hezekiah's story. There's a lot that happens in chapter 30, and I wish I had time to break that down with you guys. Um, I'm gonna skim through it a little bit, um, but I highly recommend you go back and read it because Hezekiah does a lot of really cool things. But essentially what we see is after they uh, open the temple and cleanse the temple through sacrifices and repent to the Lord, um, we see that he is like bringing a lot of people over. He wants to celebrate the Passover celebration. Now, the Passover was the, the celebration, the the remembrance of the Israelites being brought out of Egypt, right? So they would celebrate Passover. The problem was this hadn't happened in large numbers. In fact, the whole kingdom of Israel, since it was divided like 250-something years prior to that, hadn't celebrated Passover together. So this was a big deal, right? This, this is like not just like, hey, we're inviting our neighbors over. It's like that person that you haven't talked to in a long time, that last time you did see him, it didn't go very well. You're like inviting them over for dinner, right? Like that's just gonna be awkward. So Hezekiah sends these people out, these messengers out, bringing all of Israel to come. Scripture says that some people mocked them and laughed at them, but some of them came because the spirit of God was with them to unite them. Can I just pause for a second? When we're pursuing God and we're inviting others to come with us, there will be people who mock and laugh at us. Can I just encourage you to, rather than focusing on the people that are laughing, let's focus on the people who are saying yes, Teenagers, you probably experienced this 
young adults just more than anybody, right? It's not popular to be a follower of Jesus in middle and high school. It's just not. But again, if you're focusing on those that say yes, the people that are with you in your corner, those that are laughing, they're, they're laughing out of their own insecurities a lot of the times. They're searching for their own identity. But when you're able to stand knowing who you are and knowing whose you are, you have your identity and now you can stand and walk and people will be attracted to that. Now all of a sudden you are making a difference. You're living like Jesus, doing things that he did, walking the way he did, and that's attractive living. And now you're gonna have the opportunity to bring more people with you. So all, this, all these people are gathering in Judah for the Passover celebration. There were so many people that came, they just didn't have enough people to help uh, like ritually clean everything, right? So there were all these rituals, everything had to be cleansed, the people had to be cleansed. There, just, there were just too many people. And so we learned that through this that there were several people um, who weren't clean partaking in the Passover celebration, which is normally a huge no-no. But we see Hezekiah prayed that God would pardon anyone who set their heart toward God, even though it was against the rules of cleanliness, and God heard their prayer and healed the people of their sins. I love this because this is one of the few times in the Old Testament where we see God value a relationship over a rule. Jesus taught this all the time, but we didn't see that as often in the Old Testament. And so we get this glimpse of the gospel in its purest form of Jesus pursuing these people and letting them uh, be atoned for their sins because their heart was in the right place, even though they weren't necessarily clean enough to do it. Picking up in 2 Chronicles 31, verse 1, it says, Now when all this was finished, the Passover meal and the celebration, all all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and broke down the high places and all the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possessions." If you're taking notes, the second thing I have for you that's gonna require us to live courageously is removing our idols. This is probably the most difficult for us for a couple of reasons. First, idols hold some amount of value to us. If they didn't, they wouldn't be idols. They they wouldn't be used. We wouldn't be attracted to them. Secondly, idols can be hard to identify because we don't see them as idols. Again, because there's some sort of value associated with those things. But like when we think of idols, we're like, you know, I'm, I'm not worshiping a golden calf like the Israelites. Like I'm not holding some weird ritual for my cat like in my backyard, you know, like we're good, like it's cool. I don't have these statues of myself like in my house or in my bedroom. Like, hopefully, if you do, then um, you should talk with Pastor Nick Newman. Um, it's, a, it's a great, great thing there. Um, but no, but like, man, what about our work? What about our possessions? Right, like what about our social status or like our performance? What about a political figure? What about our phones, like our actual tablets, like the devices that we have our head buried in so often? What about, what about our family? What about, what about our kids? What about our spouse? Ugh. See, we don't, we don't like to talk about that. That gets uncomfortable. Ultimately, an idol is anything that we love more than we love God. Parents, do you love your kids more than you love Jesus? Surely he wouldn't ask us to do that, right? Definitely not. But in Luke 14, 26, Jesus says that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be 
my disciple. Y'all still with me? Context is obviously super crucial here. Like, Jesus isn't telling us to hate anyone. He's not telling us to dishonor our parents or neglect family responsibilities. What he's saying is that our love for God and our love for everything else should be so vastly different that it's noticeable. But I'm afraid that for a lot of us it's not. Myself included, y'all, I struggle with this. Like, if God's calling me to do something and it interrupts my family dynamic, even temporarily, I'm like, I don't know, bro, you sure about that? I don't wanna do that, right? Like, I'm not comfortable with that. If I had to choose right now, do I love Jesus more to go live with him for eternity or can I just have a few more years on earth with my kids? If I'm being honest, I, I don't know, right? Like, I'd like to say that I love Jesus more than my kids, but do my actions actually reveal that? Maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're not married, you're single, but what about your hobbies? What about your work? Like, what about your relationships? Are they bringing you closer to God or are they pulling you farther away to where you're spending less and less time with God? See, I believe we have to ask God to test us and to cleanse us and to reveal these things for us because again, oftentimes we can't see the idols for what they actually are. See, maybe we've just misplaced our love with something else. See, we can still love our families and our jobs and even our possessions, just not at the expense of loving God more. It says, uh, picking up back in, in 2 Chronicles 31, 20 through 21, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God, and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. It can be hard to seek God with our whole heart, if we still have idols that we haven't dealt with. We'll require courage. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. The third thing I have for you this morning is that we have to remember whose team we're on. Because oftentimes, more times than not, when we're pursuing God first and we're working on removing these idols, the enemy doesn't like that. He's gonna launch a full-scale attack on our lives. We're gonna begin to experience spiritual warfare to try to distract us and pull us away from pursuing God. But we have to take courage and remember that he who lives in us is stronger than he who lives in the world. Verse two, and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers, other translations say that he consulted with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and he helped them. A great many, a great many people were gathered and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? When we're remembering whose team we're on, we have to remember just that, it's a team. It's one body, but many parts, right? Like, not only did uh, he, he consult with the, the leaders and he stopped, he didn't see, a lot of times we just like react, right? We like, situation happens and we just go gung-ho, we just go guns blazing, we're in there. But it's wise, it's, it takes courage to stop and pause and ask for help. What I love about this is that when he did, it says that they decided to remove all the life-giving water from where the kings and the enemy was camped. 
Sometimes the best thing we can do is to not water the toxic traits, thoughts, or relationships that the enemy is trying to pour into us. We gotta cut that mess off, y'all. Like, we can't feed it because what we feed grows. So are we feeding those toxic traits? Are we feeding the spiritual attacks on the enemy? Or are we feeding our love for God? Surrounding ourselves in biblical community gives us people that we can go to and experience this togetherness with. I don't have it in my notes, but um, Hezekiah was like, turns to the people and is like, hey, you can be strong and courageous. There's more of us than of them. He's reminding them, hey, you're not alone. The enemy wants to try to pin you into a corner and isolate you. But Hezekiah's like, hey, we're in this together. We've got the God God and the heaven of armies on our side. Like, no, like, don't be scared of them. See, this takes courage because the world tells us that when we ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. That is the farthest thing from the truth. The last thing I have for you guys that will require us to take courage is this. We have to remember God's faithfulness. Second Chronicles 32, nine through 15, it says, after this, sent, I always mess, his word is kind of weird, y'all, like, right? Like, sent Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? We see the same thing happen in the Garden of Eden. The the enemy slithers through and whispers to Eve, did God say you really, did he really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. They had a bunch of trees. He just said not to eat from the one, but the enemy twisted the words. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, before one altar you shall worship and on it you shall burn your sacrifices? He's like, hey, all those, all those monuments, he tore all those down. Like, he's trying to get them confused about the, the works he's done, bringing them closer to God. Do you not know that, that I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver us deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers, how much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? There's another account of this same story in 2 Kings, and he kind of goes more, uh, the author there goes more into the attack on the enemy, and they were talking about how the Israelites were kind of perched up on the, the, the walls that were built up around the city. And they were looking over the Assyrians and the Assyrians were yelling all these things like trying to like talk to them and like scare them and get them to doubt their king. And, and the officials, uh, Hezekiah's officials was like, hey, hey, can you speak in your native Assyrian language? We can still understand you, but most of the Israelites cannot. And the, the Assyrians actually spoke louder in the Hebrew language because they wanted to implant a spirit of fear in God's people. Guys, we have the enemy's playbook. He's crafty, yeah, he's, he's, he's destructive, he can be, but we know how he's gonna do it. First, he's gonna take the words of God and he's gonna twist the word of God to get us to doubt the word of God. Then he's gonna try to implant fear in our lives. 
Every single time we see it. For the record, there's a difference between uh, an emotion of fear and a spirit of fear. See, with the emotion of fear, is like you're swimming in the ocean and a shark is like coming up at you, right? Like, yo, get out the water. It's coming to get you. The spirit of fear, living in a spirit of fear is never getting into the ocean in the first place because you're afraid that there might be a shark somewhere out there to get you. You see the difference? If we're living in a spirit of fear, we're never gonna be able to live out the life that God has for us because we're gonna be too much focused on what might go wrong rather than focusing on the faithfulness and the promises of God. See, Abraham had the courage to pick up and go where God told him. Noah had the courage to build a boat, but there was no water. Moses had the courage to stand up to Pharaoh. Rahab had the courage to hide the two spies and lie to the king of Jericho for the sake of God's people. David had the courage to fight a giant when no one else would. Jesus had the courage to be born as a child, to live this blameless, sinless life, and then ultimately be tortured and killed for your sins and for my sins. And then Paul had the courage to go out and tell people about that Jesus, despite constantly being persecuted and tortured and spending time in prison. The one thing that all these people had in common was that they were more focused on God's faithfulness and his promises than the fear of the enemy. If you continue reading, you'll see that Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah began praying and uh, the Lord's army came and, and, and just wiped out the Assyrian army. We have the same access to the strength and courage that all these other giants in faith that we read about. Oftentimes we just choose to try to do it in our own strength rather than laying it down and working through God's strength. See, Paul tells us that we can be strong in our weakness because it's where our strength ends that God's begins. All it requires first is a relationship with Jesus. Without that, without turning to God first, we're gonna continue fighting in our own strength. And we're gonna, we might you know, make some headway, but then we're gonna get knocked back down. We're not gonna be able to make it and pursue the life that God has for us without a relationship with him first. So if you're here today or if you're watching online and, and you're like, you know what, I, I, you're right. Like, man, I, I'm just, I haven't turned to God. I, I've been doing life my own way. I don't know what it looks like anymore. We wanna invite you to, to say this prayer with us. And can I just say that this prayer is not just empty words that we say just for the sake of saying it. Like we believe that turning to Jesus and turning your life around for him is a specific individual relationship with him and it's a specific choice that you make between you and God and it's only between you and God. But we wanna help facilitate how that happens. Like we wanna help guide you because if you've never done it before, you may not know where to start. And so not only do we wanna you know, help walk you through to the salvation and what, what that looks like, but we wanna help walk along and partner with you after that. Because after we're saved, there's still work to be done, right? We're still messy. There's still that sanctification process where it's like, hey, we're now, we're saved, we've been saved by God, but now we've got to work to get more like Jesus. It's not the works that save us, it's just that our desire to be changed by him now gives us that um, ability and desire to be more like him. So today, if you're here, if you're watching online, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you and you wanna give your life to Jesus. Church, everyone prays, no one prays alone. Pray this with me, dear Jesus, Today, I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Come on, church, can we stand and celebrate with those that made decisions today? I love it because we hear that heaven celebrates, all of heaven rejoices in moments like these. Maybe, maybe we're here today and you've already surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you have a relationship with him. Maybe you've already turned to God first. Maybe you still have idols in your heart that you haven't dealt with. Maybe you're experiencing spiritual warfare and attacks on the enemy right now and you're not really sure what to do or you just are feeling weak. I just wanna encourage you. I wanna pray for you. So if, if you're here today and you're, you're experiencing spiritual warfare or there's idols in your life that you still haven't dealt with, could you just do me a favor? Can you just slip up your hand for a moment? Guys, I, we're not in this alone. We're here together. So I just wanna pray over you here in this moment. God, thank you for, for meeting us here today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for speaking through me, Lord. God, I pray that um, all of us here under the sound of my voice, Lord, just leave here differently than the way we came. Not because of me, Lord, but because of your presence. God, anyone who uh, is struggling with any sort of um, idols in their lives, God, I just pray that you would not only help them identify the idols, but God, help them begin to have the strength and the courage to work through them. God, I pray that anyone who is experiencing spiritual warfare or sickness or attacks from the enemy, Lord, that, that God, that they would just step into your strength, allow them for you to fight their battles for them. Lay it down at your feet, God. God, give them the courage and the strength to seek after community, to be surrounded by other God's people, not just for their, their own benefit, but for the benefit of others, God. Help us to know you, help us to trust you, help us to be more like you, God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.